Live from the heart of Lincoln, America, welcome to Ticket Weeknights on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to 93.7 The Ticket, live here every single Sunday from 1 to 2 p.m. You're listening to The Nico Project, and man, it's going to be back. We had a nice little three, three to four week break here over Christmas. A lot of things happened here in Husker Nation. The volleyball team, congratulations to them on placing second in the nation. They absolutely had a a historical season with the whole entire Memorial Stadium gig and then transitioning on to being number one for a few weeks. Unfortunately, we didn't get that number one chip, but at the same time, too, man, it's it's amazing being a Husker volleyball fan here inside the state and, you know, being uh, being friends with those girls. They're awesome. I see them every single day walking uh, throughout the stadium. Uh, real cool people, and we're excited for what the future holds, man. There was no seniors on that team, too. Uh, obviously, a lot of people do know that, but you got to reiterate, reiterate that sometimes. We have a very bright future ahead of us in Husker volleyball. And then as for Husker football, Dylan Raiola committing, that was huge. I actually did not uh, stay up to the up to date on a lot of this news because I was in, in Puerto Rico for a little bit for about uh, two weeks two weeks over break. So I came back, and my phone really wasn't working well down there. So I came back to all this news, and it was quite a shock, quite a shock, I got to say. so Just missed him. He was just at the Ticket Studios. I actually? Don't know if he had, yeah, <laughs> it was like 30 minutes ago. Uh, Dylan oh, Rayle no. was spotting. He was checking out the Ticket Studios. So wow. we had a good opportunity to go see him just a little bit ago. <laughs> I guess we're famous now. So if you want to be in the same place Dylan Rayola was, go ahead and stop by. 93.7 The Ticket here in 1040 and O Street, guys. So uh, for all the pe- people out there, for all of my returning viewers, and for some of my new viewers, my name is Nico Schultz. I'm on the track team here at the University of Nebraska. And our season actually kicks off here next Saturday, next Friday and Saturday here outside of uh, Devaney. So if you guys are interested in coming in and uh, seeing some track and field, uh, we start up our season this January 12th and 13th. I will be competing in the 800 and 4x4. So if you want to see some fast times, go ahead and stop by this next upcoming Friday and Saturday. And so today for you guys, I have a one of my teammates and very close friends and former roommate, his name is Nick Bryant. Nick is actually a Big Ten champion. I think a three-time Big Ten champion, actually, in the 600 and the 4x4. And I believe I'm probably missing out on one other event. But he is an absolutely amazing athlete. I think Nick's on the call line right now, actually. Nick, can you hear me? Maybe we lost Nick. Nick, are you still there? <laughs> All right, Nick, we're going to hang up. Just have him uh, go ahead and give a call back. But anyway, yeah, as you're giving right his resume here. Of course, of course. Yeah, so b- back to what I was saying about Nick. I mean, uh, for all my track athletes out there and everybody who runs track, I mean, he's a 45 runner. He's also a 115 runner in the 600-meter run. And so you bring that to any university, any school, you're getting a full-ride scholarship. You are absolutely a top-level athlete. And so being able to train with him every single day has been truly amazing. I mean, um, yeah, he uh, he's a very he's – a, he's a great character. A track is not his only his only um, profession. He's big into politics. He's big in communicating. I mean, me and this dude are always having scholarship debates each and every single day at training table. And uh, like I said, he's also a big video game head too. Uh, growing up, he did tell me he was a big nerd. So this this is all great context for what's going to come next. I mean, you guys really. Uh, don't really know what you're in for yet when it comes to Nick Bryant. So yeah, and while we're waiting <laughs> for him to go ahead and uh, give us a call back here, what does this kind of off time look like for track athletes? Like, how much time off are you guys really giving yourselves? And then what does that look like when you get back here? Obviously, you just got back to Lincoln. How quick do you get back to work? You get uh, right back to work right away. I mean, over break theoretically, you're supposed to be training with the same exact intensity as always. But I mean, in in this time period with no school or anything like that, it's uh. It's almost as if you're being treated like a professional athlete. So, I think that's Nick on the call line, actually. Nick, can you hear me? I wonder if he's just in a bad spot. And that's I wonder, why, too. Because yeah. I was hearing a lot of static. Um, so, Nick, if you're out there, 
we'll keep you we'll keep you tuned in here but i'm could be because i know you said he was on the road so it could just he be some be. tough tough spots out here is everyone who's at a phone in nebraska can obviously point out a few dead spots but anyway as you're saying you're getting back getting healthy um and you're just getting right back to work no off time no off time no off time man we go right away i remember for my first workout back I got right off the plane. You know, there was a, I just turned 21 the other day too. So I uh, get right off the plane. It was a very long break. There was a few sleepless nights too. I don't know what it was with the uh, the transition from being from Illinois to Nebraska, even in Puerto Rico a little bit, but my body was completely thrown off my time cycle. And so I get back and my coach tells me, all right, man, we got five, six hundreds on the day back. That's not ideal for me being a 800 meter runner coming back to five, six hundreds. It's not easy for anybody, but um, I actually ended up passing out on the uh, the final rep. I didn't hit the time at all. I did go through a four out of the five, but then on that final rep, it just absolutely got me. So, do we have Nick on his call line now, or no? I think we. I think we'll try to get Nick on the <laughs> second segment here because it seems like he's in a tough spot when he's on. There's a lot of static going on. So, Nick, if you're out there listening, uh, maybe we'll just try to get him in that second one. But we'll I'm curious. Back. We can always take a first, uh, a shorter first segment here as well. I do want to ask you some things as we had Dr. Adams from Spine and Sports Chiropractic on Fitness Fanatics. Oh, man. Definitely check out Spine and Sports, but he was talking a little bit about flexibility. Obviously, a lot of great athletes are going to be extremely flexible, but he's also talking about you can be over flexible where mm. it actually can hurt yourselves. Right. Like, where do you fall on that? Like, if you have to go touch your toes, are you good on that? <laughs> yeah. When it comes to flexibility, I flexed. Uh, I mean, when it came to like stretching out, I was great throughout middle school great throughout high school and, and through college i gotta admit I'm, I'm probably not the best when it comes to flexibility i can touch my toes i can do all of that uh i do what is necessary to warm up and to cool down and there has been a few times where i've like overstretched or kind of got a little bit too crazy about that especially with massage guns or bands i mean you can really pull your leg all the way back and to the point to where you almost get like microscopic tears in your hamstring or you can overextend your knees and stuff like that and i've done that a few times where like overstretching I'll, yeah yeah so like a, a big tendency for runners is when they they pull up in a in a competition or in a practice and let's say their calf gets really tight they have a tendency to stretch it out immediately but the problem is when you are running and when your calf locked up or cramped it already is super stretched out and super strained at that point so you wanting to stretch it out it's only going to mess it up even more so when it comes to overflexibility, that is actually something I've had to, you know, chill out with a little bit. And that's actually why I don't like stretching out too much. I'll do it for, you know, anywhere from two to five minutes. But then after that, you know, once my body's good, my body's good. I just let sneak, I got let my sleep and my diet take care of the rest because your body is a lot stronger than you think when it comes to things like that. See, I always thought that was fake news because I remember really? seeing those like overstretching. I was like, I don't even know how that's possible. <laughs> so if you overstretch on an event and like you can immediately tell like right after like, man, I stretched way too much before this run. Yeah. I mean, you would really have to overdo it. Like, like I said, I was overdoing it pretty pretty bad um I, like i said i would show up to a workout and be like oh my god i feel worse than i did you know previously just after the after the workout i was like let's say i finished the workout i'm pretty sore i'll stretch way too much for like an hour or two and the next you know i'm even more sore than i was after the workout i'm like this is just terrible and now i probably have to recover for you know two to three more days and i'm not sure the science behind it as you said you had that one guy come in and and, and give some facts about it but i mean yep, for me personally yeah shout out him uh, but for me personally, I definitely have overstretched a few times. And so, and so, yeah, what about you, you for your for personal preference? Have you ever experienced overstretching or never? <laughs> I've never been competing at that level. So <laughs> no, like usually my, my, if I go for a run, my warm up is I'll go walk around, like I'll do two blocks walking and then I'll just pick it up to a jog. But yeah, as far as competitive running, I, I don't know what that timetable would look like. So before you run your race, how long are you actually spending stretching? 
before I run my race, I like to do it for like about, about an hour. You know, before we do like a real hard practice, you're warming up from, you know, 30 to 40 minutes. But then a race, you got to give yourself a little bit more time. It's different. You got to get in the right headspace. You got to go stretch on the hurdles. Um, it's honestly not a lot of muscle stretching. It's a lot of um, like endurance in, in a sense. I mean, like we do a mile warm up and a mile cool down every single time we do a workout. So the first thing we do as soon as we get to the track is run that mile. And so we, we run a mile and then we do a lot of hurdle mobility with our hips. And we really do not spend that much time on the ground stretching our muscles. I mean, you just get ready to go fast. I mean, you're warming up the muscles, but actually stretching them out. For me as an 800 meter runner athlete, I mean, I just don't think I need it that much. Rather, if I was a hurdler or a 60 meter runner and your your muscles are firing on all cylinders, you definitely need to stretch out more because you're more susceptible to injury. But for me, you know, I'm I'm using, you know, 85 to, to 90 percent of my speed. Rather, as a, as a sprinter, you're using 100% for six or seven seconds. I'm going for anywhere from a minute 46 to a minute 50. I mean, it's it's just it's night and day. So what about shin splints? How does shin that come? Splints. Because those are killer <laughs> for a lot of runners, track athletes. Those will kill everyone. Is that a stretching thing? Is that just unfortunate genetics? That's just unfortunate genetics, in my opinion. I mean, I've, I've probably had shin splints. The only time I got an injury was when I had a, a bone fracture. And I thought I was telling myself it was shin splints for about a month. I was like, no, it's just shin splints. It's just shin splints until I actually went in, got an MRI, and they saw like the crack of my bone. And like, yeah, bro, you got a you got a fracture, you're done. I'm like, oh man, I thought this was shin splints. I was telling myself that. But they say shin splints can happen anywhere on the lower shin to the upper shin. And so mine was directly on the bone. It was kind of like hanging off the bone a little bit. So I was like, no, nah, it's just like a really bad case of shin splints. But no. A lot of people, a lot of I, I'd say a lot of distance runners. Get a lot of shin splints just because mm-hmm. of the high mileage. I mean, if you're a distance runner at the Division One level, you're doing anywhere from like 60 to, to 80 to 90 miles a week. I mean, some people don't even drive their car that much. I mean, let alone if you're running out there, all that force in your body. A lot of distance runners do not weigh a lot. Their body fat percentage is the lowest out of all the event groups on the team. And so they're really susceptible to low iron and injuries as well with shin splints. But I heard they're, they're just terrible. I heard they're just, you can't walk, you can't run. And it's just a scraping. And, and to get it out too, I've seen people take knives and kind of scrape their shins down yeah. and try to get it out. I'm not sure if you've had any personal experience with that, but I, I could never. Maybe I've had them, maybe I've not. But if you've ever had shin splints out there, I'm sorry. No, I've been lucky. I've never had to deal with the shin splints. But like you said, I've seen plenty of athletes have them and it'll take you out of a race. Like, yeah, you just can't can't perform. <laughs> like I've had guys where, you know, they'll, they, and during high school, they had to like 10 seconds because right. they're like, man, I got shin splints. And then they get <laughs> to the end and they're just dragging because it hurts, like wincing with every step. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to the track athletes, what are some of the tricks that you've learned to really get yourself ready? Everyone's a little bit different, but how does Nico Schultz get ready for a run or a track event? Man, this is a really good question. So I've actually done like, almost like a deep dive study on this, especially recently too with the season coming up. I did a full, full thorough analysis on every single race that I ran last season, whether it was good, bad, or anywhere in the middle. And um, for the one of my best races, I realized that I was locked in on all cylinders, whether it came to school, track, just my, my pre-warm-up, everything. It was just all making sense to me. And so like when, whenever I am warmed up, like taking care of things in the classroom, I'm feeling good. That's one less thing I got to worry about. Whenever my body is feeling healthy, bam, I'm good. That's one less thing I got to worry about. Because if I know that I've done the work on the track, I've done the work in the in the classroom, everything else, and I have no stresses, I can just show up and compete. But if I'm on that track and I'm thinking about some assignment that I absolutely just bombed the other day or a <laughs> test that I know I didn't study for or I know I didn't take care of my diet for the week, I'm thinking about those other things. My confidence is low. But if I'm taking care of every single thing and, and, and you know putting check marks on it, I'm showing up to that, to that uh, track and field race thinking like there's no reason to as to why I cannot win this race or as why I cannot PR or why I can't you know, take this to the next level. So 
honestly getting ready for me it's it's a routine thing i'm a i'm big on routine of going to bed at the same time every single night uh doing the same thing kind of every single day a lot of people don't like staying stagnant and as i was used to be one of those same people uh i used to be very emotional as to where like i'd be a very very high and a very very low at the same time like i would just kind of you know fluctuate through all my day but i realized whenever i'm the most successful on the track is when i'm just just staying very steady just on a steady line not getting too happy about things not getting too sad about things whenever i'm just very locked in uh stretching is a big part of that warming up making sure I'm, I'm doing things in a professional manner if you ever watch a very professional athlete warm up if you ever watch usain bolt warm up or anything like that they have a very thorough routine even steph curry i know it's a different sport but i mean you see that dude out there having fun throwing the basketball around kicking it pretending to play tennis and he's one of the best three-point shooters out there and he gives uh, a lot of credit to his routine his trainers things like that um honestly when my confidence is the highest I perform the best, and I, I, I'll ask it back back to you. So, like, it's cool to get two perspectives on things. So, like, obviously, I'm I'm a Division one track and field athlete. It's very different as to what high school was. But for you, you were also an 800 meter runner, 400 meter runner back in high school. What was it like for you? What, what used to get you into the zone? Um, usually, I just I, anxiety. I was always really anxious. Anxious before the race. Yeah. So anything I could do to not be anxious. Like <laughs> I would, so yeah, a little bit of stretching, but usually it was like I'm gonna get myself in some side conversations, like before my event even starts, just right. so I'm talking and I'm not thinking about it. Because every time I hear that gun go off, like mm. I'm just like, oh, I'm thinking about it. I got an 800, I got a mile after this one. Like you just do all the math in your head. And then as I'm like counting, like if I just go run the race, I'll do better. Right. I'm like thinking about it the entire time. Like that was always my problem. <laughs> but you mentioned something, uh, Usain Bolt and Steph Curry. That's we're kind of talking about these greats here. Usain Bolt has probably one of the best histories in terms of being just a humble guy. Right. In terms of the greatest athletes we've seen in all sports, is Usain Bolt probably the most humble athlete that we've had the opportunity to witness because he'd give fist bumps. He'd shake hands. If you're just holding his block, like it didn't matter who you were. He was always just an incredible athlete and he had zero ego. Right. In our time, in our generation, probably, I think the most humble athlete I can really think of off the top of my head would probably be Barry Sanders. I got a chance to check out a little bit of that documentary. Mm -hmm. Each time that dude would score a touchdown, he's handing the ball off after juking, you know, almost half the That's team out there. That's a good one. There. Yeah, Barry, Barry Sanders, Sanders might be dude. one of the most humble I think athletes. Barry Sanders is one of the most humble. I know when Usain Bolt would run his races, he would be celebrating, you know, with 20, 30 meters left to go because that's how good he was. And I do know what you're talking about when you come to the fist bump, being super nice to the reporters, treating people like people, like how they mm -hmm. should be. I mean, athletes, yes, they are superhumans, but at the same time, too, I mean, we're all humans at the end at the end of the day, ability or no ability, you know. And I love how he treated them like that. But at the same time, too, he did hold back in a lot of those races. I feel like once you ran that world record of 958, I believe, what it was, 959, mm -hmm. um, he held back a lot of times after that. He had so many other opportunities to break that record, even the, the 1919 record. That record, in my opinion, is more insane than the, 10, than the 956. I don't think anybody in the world will ever come close to that ever again, that 1919. I don't think they will either. How long, like how many years do you think it would take? Like, do you think we have to go 500 years he, forward for it to ever get touched? Oh, I don't know if he did it in 2008 or 2012. I forgot the year he did it. But no, the closest to ever come to it was like 1932. Yeah. And so, like, you look at it from a second standpoint. If you're a normal person, you're like, wow, like, you know, it's only 0.2 seconds. But the amount of people in the world that have broken 20 versus the amount of people that have broken 10, it's night and day. I think it's only been like one or two high schoolers ever to go under 20 in high school. But then uh, when it comes to the 10 second meter mark, I mean, there's almost 20 people and there are so many people in the world that have broken 10 rather than broken 20. To break 20 seconds in a 200 meter, in my opinion, is so overlooked and underappreciated. I think that's a good point to wrap up right here. Just give Usain <laughs> Bolt a little bit of love. But nonetheless, 
This is the Nico Project. We're here with Nico. We'll try to get his guests here on the other side of this first break, but don't go anywhere. Plenty Ticket Weekend content coming up ahead. Back to the Ticket Weeknights on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back here live for the Nico Project, and we think we got the call line here working for my guy, Nick. Uh, we'll give it a shot. Uh, Nick, are you able to hear me? Hello, Mr. Bryant. <laughs> he just hung up on us. All right, all right, no Nick. Oh, man, no Nick, unfortunately, for today's show. But, ladies and gentlemen, we were previously talking about some different track aspects, and uh, I don't know if you're a fan of track and field, but today's the day you're going to learn a little bit, so... As you guys know, Usain Bolt, one of the best runners of all time, arguably the best runner of all time. He holds the 100 and 200 meter world record. He has marks of about 959 in the 100 and 1919 in the 200. And not a lot of people realize how crazy ridiculous these times are. The, the 956 or 959, my apologies, is an amazing mark. It, it really is. I mean, the, the previous world record was in the 96s, like the high 96s, but to break that 96 mark, was crazy, but then he doubled down and went back and went 19-19, and not a lot of 200-meter uh, runners have ever got the chance to break 20. To break 20, it is so hard to hold that top-end speed for 200 meters. Your body can only hold top-end speed for about seven seconds, I want to say, and so to be able to go an extra 13 on top of that and you know go 19 seconds is, is just truly amazing. Uh, we're pulling up some of Usain Bolt's stats here on, on the computer and uh, where I don't think in, in our lifetime we will see another athlete go anywhere near 1919. Obviously, we have Noah Lyles. He is a current generation phenomenon. He is a, I believe, 1931 200-meter runner. And he's also broke 10 a few times. But still, 1919 is untouchable at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Uh, it's, it's crazy to look at. He has twice broken the 200 meters world record, setting 1930 in 08, like you said, and then mm -hmm. 1919 in 09. Uh, helped Jamaica to uh, four mile hundred meters. <laughs> I mean, he just has records on records on records. If Complete we accolades. we could spend the rest of the hour just naming every individual <laughs> accolade that this guy's come by. But just oh. an incredible athlete. Yeah. Uh, so when you were growing up in track, I know you wanted to be a football player, right? But at one point in time, was there any track athletes you really admired, looked up to, or like, if I'm going to do this thing, maybe that's a person I take a few pages from? Yeah, no, I actually didn't get inspired by any track athlete until about my senior year of high school. Um, I started track my in the seventh grade year, and it was only to get faster for football. And then throughout the years, uh, I really started taking track serious my junior year of high school when I had to quit football. Because of COVID, there wasn't going to be a season, so I had to go full out, put all my chips in for track. And I went to a indoors Adidas Nationals meet. It was uh, some of the best 800-meter runners in the nation. It was called the Adidas 2021 Classic Invitational in, in Virginia, I believe. And so I'm at this meet competing, and I'm, I'm leading the race for about three out of the four laps. And after the race, I, was, I had a chance to listen into what the announcers were saying about the race. And they said, man, this, this kid right here, Nico, he really has the builds and, and the feel of Nick Simmons. And I was like, who the heck is Nick Simmons? I have no idea who this guy is. But apparently, or not apparently, he was one of the best 800-meter runners, American 800-meter runners in the world. In the 2012 Olympics, he faced off against a guy named David Rudisha. David Rudisha broke the 800-meter world record in that race at the Olympics. And uh, I think it was in Rio. That's where the Olympics was. But he ran a 140. And so for context, he came through 449 seconds for an 800. So he ran 49, and then he doubled down with a 51. Nick Simmons uh, ran about a 142. So he came through in about 50 and then 52. I mean, these marks are insane. And Nick Simmons... He was kind of like me. I mean, he used to be a football player. He was a, an amazing athlete. 
And uh, he kind of had like a stockier build. You know, I kind of, since I was a football player in the past, I did have a, a very stocky build. I was kind of a, a power runner. I'd be a front runner as well. So, I mean, I'm going against guys who were cross-country runners coming down. I was a 400-meter runner coming up. So I was real stocky. And so I did a lot of research on Nick Simmons. And Nick Simmons actually is a very famous YouTuber as well. He is making more money on YouTube now than he has ever made while being a professional athlete. And that is actually bizarre to me. I think in the track and field community, people are so underpaid. The only times that they get paid is through sponsorships. And not a lot of athletes are fortunate enough to get sponsorships. And it's a very cutthroat business as well. If you do not perform to their standards, if you are not achieving these marks and, and, and you know placing anywhere from top three in each and every single meet, they're going to cut your contract and you're going to be done. And even if when you are on a contract, you are barely breaking $100,000 per year. And $100,000 today is almost like, uh, you know, the the, the $60,000 a few, a few years ago, obviously, with inflation coming on. But, I mean, the track and field community is underpaid, in my opinion. What, what is your thoughts on that? I'm not sure, if Harrison, if you know much about what it's like to, to get paid as a track and field athlete. I mean, but if you take one of the worst NFL players versus some of the best track and field athletes, they're not – I think an NFL player might be getting paid more. Oh, yeah, probably still getting paid more. It's – it's a tough thing to do. It reminds me of wrestling like or volleyball, mm-hmm. all those niche sports. Unless you have some real pro league that consistently gets numbers, the monetization afterwards, it's just going to be a difficult road. Like You got to be Usain Belt. You got to be Jordan Burroughs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it comes to volleyball, you got to be in Nebraska, apparently. That's yeah. the best way to get fans in like. here. That's what it feels like. Um, helps when you have really great talent <laughs> as well. But... You know, I'd, I think it's a thing where I'd love for them to get paid, but what does that next step look like? Like, how do you make, you'd have to essentially make some sort of track entertainment where people can have a season, they watch, they see the best athletes. What does that look like for track athletes? Like, how can you see the space evolving? Because to me, the biggest problem is they're just, it's just like the wrestlers. There isn't a space to showcase your talent. Therefore, there's no monetization. Right. No one, you just don't have a good TV spot for people to go watch you perform. So, what is the next step for track athletes to maybe get paid? Well, check this out. Each and every single four years, there's obviously the Olympics, right? So, when the Olympics come on, t- on TV every four years, you're forced to at least check it out. It's on all the TVs, it's all it's NBC, all every single channel you could think of, the Olympics is on. And people are feeling real American at the time, right? Mm-hmm. They see an American performance. They're like, oh my gosh, I got to check this out. This is America. You only see this once every four years. I feel like, one, the Olympics is not run too often. Like every single four years, that's, that's a very long time. Mm-hmm. Only two Olympics within a 10 year, 10 year span versus a football game. There's how many football games are played every single week? I mean, you got Thursday night football, Monday night football, Sunday night football. You are seeing three different days of just nonstop sports, plus NBA. NBA is being played all throughout the week. Track and field meets are just not frequent enough, in my opinion. But at the same time, too, we are absolutely destroying our bodies. Yes, football players are football players are getting contact each and every single day. That sucks. NBA players, they're they're not getting as much wear and tear on their bodies as football players or track athletes, but they're still performing at a high level. But they're able to perform, you know, once every two or three days. I think if you make track and field a more frequent sport and make the arenas more of an entertainment space, I think track and field arenas are, are a bit generic in my in my opinion i think when you go to a football game you can go to concessions you got little games depending on the stadium you're at you got a big culture around it i mean go big red obviously everybody's screaming that you're all wearing red you're representing the same exact thing there's has to be a way where maybe we bring the track and field you know competitions to some to like Something similar to that of a football stadium. I like where this is going. I, I was going to ask, like, okay, so what are we adding to track and field events to add some more of that entertainment aspect? That, a different event, you're saying? 
like anything like an event concessions like what are you adding to this track and field event uh, you got to bring more neutral more media credibility to it i think you have to hype it up as the media if you get more reporters there if you get more professional athletes there if you got people I don't know if I even want to say this, but if you get people sports betting on track. I was going to say, I mean, it's, it's almost like it's horse a, racing. <laughs> exactly. It's almost like horse racing in a sense. Obviously, you have eight lanes. You have different people. You're betting mm-hmm. on people. But I mean, the, I was watching a video the other day. On, high jump over under would be so fun. Dude, the high jump over under would be crazy. You're always going to hit if you're in Nebraska. Those dudes are jumping over 7-1 each and every <laughs> single meet. But I mean, if you're if you're really looking at it, though, I mean, it's it's unfortunate to say, but in today's day and age, people are betting on everything. I was watching a podcast the other day, and one of the, I'm not going to name the athlete, but he said that in his DMs, after every single performance, is 50-50. It's either people cursing them out, like, why did you hit my over? Why did you hit my parlay? Or it's people absolutely loving them. Bro, you can pay for my rent, bro. I put my mortgage on you, man. Thank you. It has become so crazy. But honestly, if you want to get views in a bad way, that's how you do it. <laughs> but I do not want to approach it like that. I want to approach it from... Um, from a, just like a fun standpoint, you know, like as a track and field athlete, when, when there's a lot of people at your competition, it's a good feeling out there. I mean, you don't want to notice it because you don't want to psych yourself out. But I mean, if, if you're looking back at it and you have all these people wanting to see you perform and just there just because they want to be there, it makes the sport so much better. Our sport is very toxic, unfortunately. We don't get paid enough. Not a lot of people care about our sport. Um, the sport's brutal. It, it hurts your body. And like as I said, you don't really get much from it, but besides the competition aspect, a lot of people who have been previous track and field athletes go to coach because they say it's the closest thing you get to being a former athlete. I mean, that's that's my stance on it. Yeah, and you see that a lot across all sports. Like even the guys that say they do play NFL, mm-hmm. they're done with their career. Where do they end up? A lot of times they'll end up back in sports media just because right. it's a good step or they'll get into coaching. Um, but yeah, I always try to think of like what can make track and field events more entertaining. I think they're fun. I think the hardest part is they're just long days in right. events. I think it's right. hard for people um, to kind of sit down. Like if I really don't like high jump, what time are they starting? Who's mm-hmm. all going? It'd almost be like you'd have to really promote it. And what? how many fans, like what's the biggest amount of fans you've seen in a Nebraska track and field event? I mean, I've seen the stands pretty filled before. I got to say probably Frank Savine in my recent years has been the biggest one. If I had to get a guess, maybe a little bit over 300, 400 people inside of the Vanny. I mean, what, compared to, compared to the football stadium where there's 80,000, 70,000 yeah, people going and that's not even filling the stands. So, I mean, we're talking, I mean, uh, what, what is, what's the term? It's not apples to apples, but apples to oranges. Yeah, apples to oranges in a sense. I mean, it's it's honestly ridiculous. But, I mean, how do you how do you bring – you know, 90 plus thousand people to watch people run in circles. I mean, that's like a thousands to start, right? Yeah. Get to a thousand, two thousand. How do we get to a thousand? I mean, do we, do we make it more of a social media thing? Do we get more cameras in there and start live streaming? And- well, how were those fan bases? Like when it was actually pretty full, when like, it was packed, oh, yeah. it was awesome. like were people having a great time. Yeah. But everybody in there was there for a purpose. They were either supporting their friends or they were former Nebraska athletes wanted to go in and check us out. Like, yo man, I, I had, a, I had so many guys who run my, who ran my same event back in the nineties? Come up to me after my race, like, yo, man, that was awesome, man. I was an eight hundred meter meter runner back in ninety six, man. We ran almost the same time. It was so fun watching you out to represent us, and like that's a good feeling. But you don't get that. I mean, out of the four hundred people there, I, that's six people, right? Mm-hmm. All the other people there are, are there for different purposes. Maybe you you do different levels. Maybe you create more of a facility things. So like, all right, this is the track on level one. You go up to level two. This is all the field events. This is high jump. You go up to level three. This is throw. So like maybe you organize it better so that people can, you know, go to specific events. But I want to get it to the point to where we have close and upwards to like 100,000 people at one track and field meet 
going absolutely crazy. And if we just get one season like that, or even just one meet like that, I feel like other schools and other other track and field you know places are going to start mimicking that. Kind of like with volleyball. Mm-hmm. What happened right when Nebraska volleyball said, okay, we're going to bring it from indoors to outdoors inside of Memorial Stadium. Other people started copying. Uh, Iowa, they, they brought their basketball game outside. And then now this upcoming season, there's going to be a bunch of more games like that. You know, it just takes one person to start the trend. Yeah, and I think you did definitely nail it with Nebraska volleyball because we saw Caitlin Clark in Iowa, which yep. if you're Iowa, smart move. You got a great basketball athlete in Caitlin Clark. You're mm-hmm. you got to use to capitalize on it. I I wonder if that's it too. Is like sometimes when you when you get those great athletes, like you capitalize on it. Right. Like that's what Iowa did, right? They have Caitlin Clark, a great basketball player. The season, the hype's going to be there um, for the season, but we can get it going early, knowing right. that we already have a person like. Feels like if Nebraska's got a great track athlete, like really market push them. Like you, right. ha- you have to come watch this person. Like you, you won't believe how fast they run. <laughs> you won't believe what their pole vault is. Right. Um. Man, other things. The only other ways I could really think about it is like you add a crazy event in there. I don't know if it could ever. It could never be like official, but almost like a the the truest best athlete on the track and it's almost like American Ninja Warrior style it's like you go run a 400 throw a javelin high jump and then hurdle and <laughs> you'd have to <laughs> you'd have to combine it all together to get like some sort of best athlete all around out there it'd be tough but I think the best way to do it the healthiest way to do it would be market your premier athletes yeah like fine because let's be real like girls basketball it's awesome where it's going right now but yeah. no one no one was watching LSU and Iowa because girls basketball is everyone's favorite sport people are watching lsu and iowa because caitlin clark and angel reese yep. like that was a matchup and that got everyone watching in high numbers so i think tracks got to be the same way like you have to tell people like no you you don't understand like you have to go watch this person like right. it's unreal we've never seen it before is there anyone in the big 10 right now in terms of track athletes it doesn't even have to be just nebraska but when yeah. you look around like this this person is going to be showing up on Raiders, radars. <laughs> I don't know if like, we got anybody like that in the Big Ten, but I got to say there's this one guy from Texas who is going to go to the Olympics this year. I forgot his name, unfortunately. I literally follow him on Instagram and I watch a bunch of his content, but he won nationals last year. He almost, I think he might have broke the, the outdoor multi-record, the Catholic record, and this dude is just an absolute unit. He's 6'7". He runs like a 47-400. He's 6'7"? Yeah, he's 6'7", does a multi. He high jumps like 7 feet. This guy's just an absolute freak of nature. And he was just like breaking all these records last year. He is just an absolute just maniac. And he broke all the records at Texas. And Texas is a very elite, you know, uh, organization when it comes to track and field and, and all sports. But just this guy was just like otherworldly. And he blew the whole entire field away. I mean, he beat a guy who broke the indoor national record. Like to beat a guy who broke the indoor national record, you got to be a different type of dude. And he's projected to win the Olympics. So like when you got somebody <laughs> like that yeah, who market. goes – Exactly. You got to you got to market that. And like, I think track and field, too. I think marketing has very he's fallen very short because back in the day, I used to talk to my old track and field coach, uh, Gary Pepin. He retired two years ago. And anytime we we had the conversation uh, about track and field and where it's going and where it's been, he always mentions about how we used to have coliseums filled with people, filled with upwards of 20 to 30,000 people just there to watch the events in the 80s and 90s. Right. And this is pre phones, pre social media. And this is just pure people. This is just pure entertainment of people wanting to get in and get i just see people compete see people have fun yeah. it didn't take no social media it didn't take none of that it just came to the point of all right i want to see these college athletes who've been working super hard perform at their best 
And yeah. today, I feel like that's not enough for people now. You get on social media, you can swipe, swipe, swipe. Oh, cool, that guy broke a world record. Swipe, swipe, swipe. Oh, she broke a world record. It it, it doesn't hold the same weight. So now we got to pivot and think like, all right, as a marketing, how can we do it? Do we create cooler merchandise? Do we create cooler merchandise for, you know, uh, you can create like a really cool shirt or a really cool hoodie, kind of like how NFL does it, right? I mean, you can mm-hmm. buy people's jerseys. Do you buy people's track uniforms? How do you make that a fashion statement? Do you put someone's track uniform on a celebrity? You know, it's like, how do you go about it? And, and, and like you said too, that basketball game versus Angela Reese and Clayton Clark, they were just there because of those two athletes. They weren't mm-hmm. there just because of the team. So how do we do that with our athletes? I mean, the first, first person that comes to the top of my mind is, is Jess, right? I feel like everybody on the track and field world or even anybody in a Big Ten school knows about Jessica in Nebraska because of how good she's promoted herself on social media and marketed herself. Like, why can't you buy her a jersey, right? Just go just to see her. And on top of that, too, you're watching all the other athletes. Too. Like, there's so many. This is, the snowball effect is crazy. But we just, to get it started is rocket science. Yeah, and uh, you're not the only one. As we talked about, there's pro leagues, WNBA, that still have that problem. They can't right. quite figure out their demographic. That's always a tough one, too, because every time I try to think about how do you fix the WNBA problem, it's like you have to get the girls to watch. Right. Like the problem is, is the biggest demographic are guys, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. That's great, but it's like you the market that's untapped is that girls' market. So I think volleyball's figured that out, and the guys have gotten into it, too, but now it's just getting to a point with track. It's interesting. I think it definitely starts with marketing your your best athletes. Like even if the guy's from Texas, that's good for track as a whole. Mm-hmm. Just get people to go watch that guy. Six seven runner. That's multi multi events. Like that's gonna be fun to watch regardless. With that being right. said, though, we do got to go ahead and throw it to our final break here on the Nico Project. Followed up by that, we will have Bills Thrills at two to three p.m. scheduled as always. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Back to the ticket weeknights on ninety three seven the ticket and the ticketfm.com. All right, we're back to the Nico Project. I stole your intro. I'm just that used to it. <laughs> You're good, man. Keep it going. Keep it going. I like this. Yeah, absolutely. Join in 402-464-5685. You can catch Nico's face on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Allo, Channel 961. We got a little bit of time here yet. Nico, I know you're a Chicago Bears fan, so I got to ask. There's a field situation today. The Bears play the Green Bay Packers. Yes, it's a big sir. game. If you're a Bears fan, uh, feel free to chime in the starter Hammond text line. If you're a Packers fan, I don't want to hear it. Not today. <laughs> Stay off the line. Good chance, right? The Bears have an opportunity to knock the Packers out of the playoffs. Obviously, nothing in it for the Bears. They're already eliminated, but there may be something in it for Justin Fields to keep his job. Is that a conversation that's blown up, or is Justin Fields really playing for his starting job at the starting quarterback position for Chicago Bears? I do think the decision has already been made, in my opinion. I think this is only going to push it either for greater or for worse. Obviously, if he wins, the push for Fields to stay is going to be tremendous. But then, obviously, if he loses, it's going to be like, all right, maybe we do trade this guy. Maybe we do uh, plan for the future. In my personal and respected opinion, I think you keep Fields, you get Marvin Harrison, watch Harbaugh win the championship, pick him up too. Steal some plays from they're there. They're keeping Eberflus. <laughs> they, they, oh, they're keeping them. Yeah. Oh, no. All so right. That, so I agree mind. with you. I think the decision's already been made. I think it's already been made, too, as well. So I, the, I remember a video that was going live on Twitter that was very viral on Twitter of Fields talking to his coach, and they were they were kind of having like a one-on-one conversation. And a lot of people are saying, one of these two guys are staying. I'm not sure which one. Hopefully it's both, or it might be they're both leaving. So one of the two have already decided to stay. Can we keep Fields in the mix? If you were the GM, and if you saw all this 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 Twitter talk going around. I mean, all the sports an- analysts are talking about this as well. What are you doing for the future for this upcoming 2024 draft? 
It's hard because if you're being a true GM and Ryan Poles, I think he's actually been good despite right, right. Very, like he spends his money. It's not like we, we finally have a GM who's like, you know, I'm not just going to not pay anything forever and just be okay with being relevant with my history. Um, he's actually spending money to win. And you're seeing that a little bit more with mm-hmm. the wins. But with Justin Field, I mean, everyone's got a number. Yep. It, it, it depends what that. I mean, if someone is giving you hand over fist, like a crazy deal franchise tag, <laughs> yeah, because there's so many teams that need a quarterback right now and they'd all be salivating over the idea of like, man, if we can get just get Justin Fields, mm-hmm. we can save a lot of time here and we right. can just plug ourselves. Right. But if you're the Bears, you got a young team. If you trade Justin Fields, you avoid yourself having to pay out his contract. You get another rookie deal contract on a quarterback. So Justin Fields has intangibles that I, you're not going to replace. Right. right. That's why he's on NFL highlight reels all the time. Like he does things that you don't see. Despite them winning three games through multiple seasons, three, four, now this year we finally got six, mm-hmm. he's still going to be on NFL highlights because he does things other guys just can't do. Right. So now you're in a situation like is, is Caleb Williams going to be better than that? Is he going to be worse? But because of the overall trades that we'll get in return, the future first rounders, maybe a couple second rounders as well. Like, that's a big decision. Like, it seems really black and white in terms of Justin Fields is probably going to be the best quarterback that I think you can go with. I don't care if you get Drake May, you know, McDaniels, Caleb Williams, take your pick. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of those guys are going to be as good as what Justin Fields has been. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So I, what are you doing? I'm keeping uh, Fields. I'm, unless I get, like, a crazy number, which you probably will, but it, it's going to have to be outlandish. I think I'm still going to keep Justin Fields. As you mentioned before, he's on every single highlight reel. He's doing things that no other quarterback in the league besides Lamar Jackson can do. He's chasing records. He's breaking all these records with his legs. I think he's a great locker room guy. All the players love him. All the players vouch for him. I think the only reason uh, DJ Moore even came to Chicago was because of Justin Fields and what he can do. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, they have such a good relationship there. I think if you get rid of Fields, you're really hurting the locker room. The coach is going to break. So many number one jerseys have been sold throughout Chicago. And every single time you play another team, even the Miami's coach a few years back, he said, man, tackle that dude number one. Get Fields down. He is a threat with his arm, with his legs, and he's only developed over the years. Each year you watch Fields, he's only gotten better. There's been no regression. He keeps on killing it and proving to every single NFL analyst out there that he is QB1. He's not a backup. He deserves to be in the field. He killed it at Ohio State. He's going to continue to do better. I think if you put another quarterback in his position, you're not going to see much. If you put Jordan Love in, in, in uh, Fields' position right now, he's not going to be the same quarterback. With what he's given, he has made the absolute most out of it. And if you give him some more weapons, give him some more offensive linemen, we already have the defense to back him up. I think we'll be Super Bowl contenders within these next six years if Fields does end up getting an ante up on his contract. Cool. Okay, I like that. We'll wrap it up there. <laughs> uh, as a Bears fan, hearing that news, man, it just puts a smile on my heart. But they got the Packers today. Uh, was that 325 game? 325 p.m. Obviously, it's a big one for the Chicago Bears. Give just it a watch. feel-good note uh, to hopefully take the Packers out of the playoffs and the Packers if they want to hold on to their dominance over the Chicago Bears. That's going to wrap it up for the Nico Project, though. That's Nico to my left. I'm Harrison running the ones and twos. Yes, Bill's sir. Thrills up next. Don't go anywhere.